Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for coming um, on the show and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so um, much for having me. I'm so excited to be part of this conversation. Well, it's an honor. And I looked at your Instagram and I recently saw on CNN the horrifying statistics of how many teen girls tried to commit suicide last year. It's a catastrophe. And I've been trying to focus on youth and, you know, predominantly teenage mental health, where it seems like things really start to decline for a lot of kids, like in puberty. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing just feels so important to me. And I'm wondering if you could talk about it. You know, firstly, tell us, like, how did you get started? And tell me what you feel is like the most important part of, of mental health for kids and like what you're doing to help them and what parents can do. Like my kid's school has all these wellness counselors and mm -hmm. but the kids who I feel in need it the most do not reach out to those counselors. Yeah. They won't. So start with like how you, you know, your origins, like how this all started and what you've learned and what you feel and just, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. You are absolutely right. There's been a huge increase on mental health issues, especially in our youth. And I know it started to really ramp up maybe about a decade ago. It's always been, you know, somewhat level, but it started to really ramp up and it really reached a crisis mode within the last couple of years due to lockdown and the pandemic and all of those things. So to speak to your question about me and my background, I work as a life coach for teenagers, and I also help support parents of teenagers to help increase the availability of services for that age group and for that demographic of parents. My education is psychology and social behavior, bachelor's degree, and I was a teacher in the classroom for 14 years, and, and I taught young kids first through sixth grade. I noticed a huge increase in anxiety in my students just from the, the year I started teaching all the way through when I left the classroom. It was like a completely different group of individuals. And it was very clear to me that something else needed to be available, especially when the kids hit adolescence. And speaking from personal experience, my two girls... 16 and 18. And my oldest daughter has a lot of challenges with her mental health. And they really, really picked up and became more apparent when she was in middle school. I learned more about mental health and psychology and the brain and stress management at that time than I had through any of my formal experience as an educator. And there is just something to be said about having this experience and walking alongside your own child when they are going through something so scary and so unpredictable. After I left the classroom, like I mentioned, I really felt called to become a part of the solution. I got my life coaching certification and I started coaching teenagers. And that pretty much fell in line with the exact time the pandemic hit. <laughs> There's just been a huge need. And what I found is that the, the kids who do come to me, it's the parents who reach out, but the teens that I work with, they're in this middle ground where they may not need a, as much of a therapeutic approach, but they also do still need support. The support systems at the schools, they're just overtaxed. There's just too many kids and they can't keep up. My goal is to 
provide a bridge so that they don't spiral into more of a challenge, a deeper issue than what's already going on by just teaching them how to manage life, manage stress before it becomes a real big issue. What do you think is the cause? I mean, if you're looking at the time when it really declined for kids, it does coincide with social media and the internet. I feel like there's a lot about social media that's very harmful for kids, like FOMO, everyone's life looks great, the being left out. Like on Snapchat, you can see the avatars of where all your friends are and like they're hanging out without me type of thing. I feel like it's very, very damaging. But is it that simple? Do you think there's an element of it like from the stress of the culture we live in of of competition and trying to get into these schools? Or what are your thoughts on what is causing this problem? It's definitely multifaceted. It's hard to just pinpoint one thing, but to speak to your comments about what used to be just maybe you heard in passing that people were hanging out without you or that you would see each other at school and it would be awkward, but then you could go home and have your safe space at home. That's not really a thing anymore. So when they have social media, it's like they have to be on all of the time. And that in and of itself can be very stressful. I can say that the teens that I work with, because they grew up with social media, they're a lot better at navigating or keeping themselves from getting entrenched in the throes of, I'm not good enough because I'm looking at this influencer who looks perfect all of the time. So for sure, social media. The thing too that is happening is they're getting exposed to things that they're not developmentally ready to process. So less than seeing friends hanging out without them, it's getting exposure to the outside world on a level that we weren't exposed to. So it's like all of a sudden the reality hits that like, wow, this world is, there's a lot going on and they're not emotionally ready to handle and process that. And it really does shake their sense of safety. A lot of it can be directed. As you know, it's curated. If they watch something on one perspective, they're going to start getting fed information on that same perspective. And it makes it seem like, oh, I guess that's how it is. And so it's like confirmation bias. It's like, okay, well, I believe this. Now everything I see confirms that. And so their brains aren't developmentally ready. Their nervous systems get taxed. They don't know how to calm themselves down. They don't know how to regulate the nervous system. Then they have trouble falling asleep. Then their lack of sleep, it just becomes a big cycle. And then on top of that, the medical system is not prepared to the level that it needs to be prepared to support mental health. They're trained to support physical health, but the influx of mental health patients in adolescence, the doctors haven't necessarily been trained for that. And there's just not enough availability. So if you could do something for kids, like if you were in charge of the world, what can we do to help kids? The easiest and most accessible way of helping teens and kids on a grander scale is to teach adults and caretakers, parents, teachers, teach them how to listen, listen empathetically, not listen to comment, not listen to fix, listen to just let them get their feelings out and make it safe to talk about anything and everything. 
A lot of the time what's happening is these kids are bottling things up and then that just leads to shame and self-doubt. But, you know, when we were growing up, our parents didn't listen to us. In fact, statistically, I'd say that generation was much more dismissive of kids. We didn't have social media. You know, I feel like kids spend too much time indoors. Mm -hmm. We did not spend time indoors when we were growing up. Yeah, of course, parents should listen, but it doesn't explain this crisis, right? It definitely doesn't. And the need is different. But as for what you were saying is how we grew up, yeah, our parents weren't as involved. And it did teach us to become more self-sufficient and self-reliant, which was really great. But a lot of people in our generation were brought up to not talk about it and keep it in, which eventually is not going to be a healthy thing. So I know a lot of people of our generation are now finally seeking support for things. Sure. Despite that, we had fewer kids attempting, God forbid, attempting suicide and showing up in the emergency room, having attempted, just utter despair. Mm -hmm. I just feel like there's got to be more aggressive approach. I don't even know the answer. I mean, it it sounds to me like maybe it needs to come partly from the social media companies themselves. Like just the whole thing on Snapchat with those avatars. Why do kids need to see where the kids are? I mean, that's crazy. They are marketing to what they believe that their clients or their customers Sure. And kids don't know what's best for them. They think they want that. Oh, I want to know where my friends are. You know, I'm wondering, since the cat's already out of the bag, right? Social media is already out there. They're already exposed. So maybe the answer is you you start educating them in kindergarten, little by little, giving them tools to handle it. Mm -hmm. But I still feel like it's really rough. I mean, just the whole like count, like how many likes do you get? I actually aggressively disable that on my social media because I feel like if we all aggressively disabled it, it would no longer exist. But the thing too is to teach the kids is self-awareness. And the more self-aware they are, the less triggered they'll be by those things. The less having likes will matter. When you're working with kids as a coach, how do you handle the kid that's not motivated? Like what would be your approach? Well, you know, it's really one of those things that it's a teenager thing for sure, just apathy in general. And that's speaking generally, of course. But motivation, one of the things that I explain to my clients, because most of them struggle with motivation, it doesn't come out of the thin air, basically. What it does is it's created through action. So when I have a client who says, I'm not motivated to do my homework. Well, first of all, of course you're not. It's not something that you want to do. It's very rare that someone's going to be motivated to do something that they really don't want to do. And so instead of getting down on yourself and thinking, gosh, you know, I'm a lazy bum because I'm not motivated to do my homework. First, just reframe it and acknowledge, yes, I don't like doing homework. This isn't something I want to do. And I'm going to take action and start it instead because In the long run, I know it will help me get to where I want to be. And so that's the future focus. So once the action is taken, then there is a result. The result feeds into what the person is wanting for themselves, and that feeds into the motivation to do it. And I always explain it to them in a scenario that I feel like most people can relate to and understand, and that is exercising. Yes, exercising can be fun and enjoyable, but sometimes you don't want to do it. 
right? But you know that you want to be healthy. You know you want to have more energy. You know you want to get in shape. So you get up off of your chair and you go for a walk. Then afterward, you feel better. And then you remember, okay, walking makes me feel better. I'm going to be more motivated. And then like the cycle repeats itself. So instead of waiting for the motivation to come, be proactive and take action first. And that's what's going to lead to the motivation. What advice would you give a parent? So so there's a kid, say, who's struggling. They got into weed. And, you know, in L.A. and California, where I am, very easy to get into. Um, What would you say to a parent? What's the approach? I, of course, it's a case by case basis, but it's important to treat or to address the underlying reason why the teenager is feeling the need to self-medicate with weed. That could be something from long ago. It could be peer pressure. It could be low self-confidence. Going straight to rehab and just addressing the substance is not going to change the underlying issue. The substance use is a symptom of what's really going on. And that's where getting curious and listening can really come in handy because it's not their behavior. They are reaching out to that as a way of easing some type of discomfort. So once they learn how to manage their emotions, manage the ups and downs of life and have the confidence to ride that roller coaster and feel safe with their emotions. Once they do that, they're going to be less inclined to reach for things like drugs and alcohol to get themselves to feel more comfortable in their life. But where do you get the help for that? (laughs) I guess they'd go to a therapist, but they're not always available. No, absolutely not. Especially if someone can't afford it. Yeah, It, it definitely is a limiting factor the finances of it all. There's definitely privilege in having the ability to go to a therapist or have a life coach. And honestly, it does start with the caretakers. The caretaker's ability to manage their own emotions, take care of their own emotional and mental health so that they can provide support for their kids and not take it personally, not make it mean something about them, even if it does but provide the safe space themselves. And I'm speaking from experience. I know it is one of the hardest things to do to see your kid going down a difficult path or the wrong path or an unsafe or unhealthy lifestyle and feel helpless or feel like there's something you could done better or something you did wrong or it's your fault. But if you're able to, as the adult, as the person with a fully developed brain, be that safe space for your kids, then they will be less likely to reach out to those things. And if it is a problem, if it's already something that's going on, find support for yourself so that you can support your team, especially if they're not willing to talk to someone outside of the home. And what would be the steps somebody would take? Like, I'm just looking at it like it's a very pragmatic thing. If somebody wants to get help for their kid and their insurance opportunities are minimal because you can have insurance and go out there and try to find a therapist and they're not always available. They're just literally booked. Where does this parent turn? The medical doctor, whoever it is that you already have access to, it's a perfect place to start. Inside your circles, ask friends how they're getting support, if they're getting support, if you're comfortable with that. There are also nonprofit organizations 
that parents can turn to. I know. There are? Oh, yes. There's one called NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. They have local chapters that you can contact. They will help you find providers. They will help you find resources. You can tell them if you are in a position where you cannot afford to pay out of pocket. They'll help you find the other nonprofits that can help. I know that when we were in crisis, there was an organization that was completely nonprofit, totally free, that would help and come in in crisis situations. What place is that? This was a local one. And honestly, I don't remember the exact name of it, but we did get it through NAMI. So that's so the people reached out to NAMI nationwide. They might be able to direct somebody to mm-hmm. something local because I feel like we're really in a crisis and they need to be able to reach out and it cannot be like just a money thing because everyone doesn't have that kind of money. There, there's no doubt about it that there is more need and not enough resources. And that's why I always advise to be open and honest about the struggle with people you feel safe sharing with, because that's where you find support. You, yes, support in your friends, but I mean ideas for places to go, people to talk to, resources, things like that, so that you're not, not feeling like you have to do it all on your own and figure it out like you are on an island, because you're not. And another thing, so this is just a hypothetical. So say you and I were like back to square one and we had toddlers. Mm-hmm. What would you do differently to to change or to change trajectories of struggle with kids? What would you suggest to a parent of a toddler? First, create a container of safety where no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter what you're going through, you are unconditionally loved and supported in this house. I will listen to you. I will approach things with curiosity to the best of my ability. That means not swooping in also when there's an issue, when there's a conflict, when there's a problem, so that at a very young age, your kid feels supported, but also knows that they can handle things on their own. I did a podcast on helicopter parenting. That's a big thing for our generation. Hopefully not as much anymore, but being overly involved, jumping into fixed things at school, like if there's a bad grade or if there's a conflict with a teacher to jump in and say, hey, you know, what's going on? What did you do to my kid? Instead, teaching your child how to manage conflicts, how to have difficult conversations, how to stand up for themselves so that they feel less like a victim and more confident and more in control of their life. And also finding a balance If the path is to go down is to allow social media and technology and things like that, if you're going to spend an hour on a screen, spend an equal amount of time doing something else, whether it be outside, playing an instrument, doing artwork, putting together a puzzle, but make it more balanced and start that at a very young age. Teach your kid how to find things that fill them up separate from the technology or from the phone so that they can get into that state of flow. And it's also like a meditative state, doing something that they love and that they just lose themselves in. I know that little kids do that already. A lot of the time they'll just get in their own world and play. And when they have access to a device, that can be more of a draw because it's an immediate serotonin boost. I know in Asia, they have all these strict rules now with kids, like even like how many hours they're allowed to be on it. I don't know how they monitor it or 
control yeah. it. But it's just it's just a shame that there's so much despair. That's why I got into the line of work that I'm in because I felt so helpless because I know my daughter was struggling, but I shared that my daughter was struggling. I was more open and vocal about it. And the number of people that would come to me and thank me for being open and honest about it and that they too were struggling with their kids, it just is so important to normalize it. Let parents know, first of all, that this is something that a lot of teenagers are going through and that they don't have to figure it out on their own. Because one of the hardest parts of going through that with your teen is the hopelessness and the helplessness you feel and the weight of having to solve it and fix it. There is no medal for being the one person who does it. It does take a group effort. And just being honest about the struggle and open with the conversation, like what you're doing here on this podcast. Right. And so for parents who are in that struggle and are having trouble reaching help, definitely start with NAMI, N-A-M-I.org, and put in your local zip code and see if there's some local organization that you can, that your child could get counseling. I know there are some um, mm-hmm. that are going to look at financials and maybe be able to offer you some help. Yeah. And there's parent groups possibly. It's it's out there. Yeah. But how do people reach you if they'd like to reach you to talk to you about their kid? Do you do virtual or are you only doing people locally in your area? I work virtually. So I have clients who are all over the world. So when someone wants to work with me, the first place that they can look is my website, which is jenniferdollaquadri.com. I'm also on Instagram at jennifer.delaquadri. And I have a podcast called the Raising Happy Teens podcast. And that's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Oh, I'm going to listen. Yeah. Any of your listeners can go and just binge. There's a lot of really great information. So if they're looking for free support, it's right there. And I also offer a lot of really great parenting strategies and tips for raising teenagers on my Instagram. So I highly recommend that they follow me there. Fantastic. And thank you so much, Jennifer. I mean, I know that there's no quick and easy fix for any of our kids. You're taking a little piece of it and trying to reach out one kid at a time. And that's really all we can do. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate your efforts in bringing this to the forefront and being part of the conversation. It's so important. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on the podcast. And thank you, everybody, for listening.